everybody, and welcome to the Sompre Health Podcast. Uh, it's Rich Prest here. I am very excited today to have uh, with me uh, a good friend and, and uh, a remarkable character in the in the history of uh, pharma, uh, especially pharmaceuticals, Harry Travis. And uh, he has a, a long and distinguished career in the space and uh, looking forward to uh, him sharing some of his wisdom uh, with us all today and, and definitely to the conversation as always. So, um, Harry, welcome, uh, welcome aboard. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rich, and thanks a lot for having me. It's great to talk to you. Likewise, yeah. So, Harry, um, you've had quite a remarkable career. Um, I'm, I'm curious, maybe just to start with, did you have like a dream career when you were growing up? Were you one of these guys who wanted to be an astronaut? or a, um, what, was, what was sort of what you imagined yourself being when you were younger? Yeah. I, I don't know how you read my mind, but... Uh, <laughs> I did want to be an astronaut. In fact, I, I said to somebody the other day, I think I can name the seven original Gemini astronauts. Uh, <laughs> Len awesome. Carpenter uh, yeah. and uh, Wally Sharon. I don't know who all else. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, that was my youth. Mm. Uh, but uh, my mother was a nurse mm -hmm. and I liked science in high school. Mm. And she worked in a hospital and ran me around the hospital meeting all of the department heads. Mm. And the pharmacist was just the nicest guy I met. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I want to be like him. <laughs> uh, so you went to pharmacy school, became a pharmacist. And then uh, where, did, where did life take you after that? <laughs> yeah, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Uh, my first job out of pharmacy school was working for people's drugstores in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. which eventually got rolled up in the CVS, which turns out hit my career again. So it's like, you know, life runs in circles. Then went to the University of Virginia to get an MBA mm -hmm. and really tracked my career through mm -hmm. kind of corporate, a little bit of medical devices. First job out of uh, Virginia was with Baxter in their IV solutions division, and then kind of into specialty pharmacy through Cardinal, Accredo, Aetna mm. Specialty Pharmacy. Well, actually, Accredo, Medco, Aetna Specialty Pharmacy, CBS, and just recently finished as senior vice president at CBS Caremark, where I ran all of the customer service operations and specialty and mail order pharmacy. For, for Caremark, a, a mere 22,000 people on my payroll. Yeah. So that, that was a great run. Hey, no, extraordinary. And what, um, when you look back over the, all those roles, do you have a sort of a, one that stands out as a favorite to you? Or, um... the, the favorite was probably, although they were all great and mm. great people all along the way, and I consider myself very fortunate kind of as, you know, Steve uh, Jobs famously says, you, you can't connect the dots going forward. You just look back and you can see how the dots all connect to get you where you are. <laughs> you know, his famous Stanford uh, commencement address, yeah, I would recommend yeah. everybody uh, listen to that. But there was one interesting uh job I had, as you know, I left Aetna to mm. run a startup that invented mm. a microchip that you could swallow. Mm -hmm. So we had, it was a spin out of the University of Florida, mm. a microchip that could actually be ingested, powered up in your stomach and send a radio signal out of your stomach, uh, like one meter out of your stomach. I'm yeah. the only person that uh, you will ever meet who has eaten 100 computer chips because <laughs> I participated in all of our clinical trials. Yeah. We got the product cleared by the FDA, yeah. but then 
COVID kind of slowed us down a little. Yeah. And I moved over into CVS. But that was probably the most fascinating job I've ever the CEO of eTech RX, yeah. which is still alive and running and running clinical trials in different NIH sites. Yeah, I actually had the pleasure of catching up with uh, Eric Bufkin uh, the other day, and we we actually recorded an episode for for this podcast. So uh, oh, good, hopefully good. that'll be going going live soon. But uh, we will we will have to see you at JP Morgan. Yes, indeed. Both of us are going to be at JP Morgan in January. That would that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd be glad to have that event be uh, actually happen. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. And then, um, in terms of, uh, are there any particular career accomplishments that stand out to you as ones that you're most proud of? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know the the Acredo, uh, my just my time at Acredo at the very early stage of specialty mm. pharmacy. Mm. So, you know, when I, I was at Credo, we had maybe four products. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, we were literally launching Biogen's Avonex, oh, wow. Genzyme, Serazyme, mm. Genentech's Nootropin. Mm. You know, when PBMs had no idea, well, even PBMs were in the early stage. This mm-hmm. was the early aughts. Yeah. Uh, this was 01 and 02. Yeah. So using FedEx to deliver high-cost meds to p- patients' homes every day was an adventure mm-hmm. in terms of reimbursement, logistics, and all that. And again, at the time, we were just doing what we thought we needed to do, had no idea that, you know, this would become the the mouse that ate the industry yeah. at the time. Specialty pharmacy was like, what are you guys doing over there? We're not paying attention to you. Who the heck are you? And now look at specialty. So yeah. that was one of the really interesting points to look back on and say, you know, you really, everybody needs to kind of be in the moment and understand essentially what's going on and mm. how pivotal what you're doing mm. really could be. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's remarkable to think that it's actually a relatively very short history that specialty has been around for, and uh, and uh, just um, yeah, amazing to see it grow to fifty percent of uh, drug revenue. Right. So, um, so I think it'd be interesting then to think about you know for your as you continue on your career now, are there, are there things you still want to do in healthcare? Is there uh, what's what's sort of the current? Uh, Current focus. There's, yeah. There is a lot I want to do. And one of the things I need to determine is what I want to do. Yeah. I think all, anyone who is in healthcare, regardless of your profession or your niche, is fortunate in that you are in an industry that is just constantly growing. Mm-hmm. Just the demographics, mm-hmm. the tailwind is there. Mm-hmm. Now, there's lots of challenges and lots of frustrations, but the foundational concept of trying to help people lead better, healthier lives is great. Mm -hmm. And the aging population is just driving this industry to need more and more services, more and more innovation. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is collect all my, you know, where I've been, what I've done. I kind of jokingly refer to myself as I know uh, a little bit about a lot. And h- how do I, I do that? And one of the things you and I talked about is I'm going back to school to take formal training on how to be an executive coach. Anybody awesome. can hang their shingle out and call mm-hmm. themselves an executive coach, but Brown University has a very good executive coach development program. So I'd like, I've got the time to do that. So I'm going to do that. And that starts in September. Awesome. And, uh, Hopefully, I can help some young CEOs uh, 
kind of, I can show them the scars and maybe have a more disciplined approach to help them along the way. Fantastic. Oh, that's, uh, that's very exciting. Yeah. I think, uh, coaching has been, uh, yeah, there, there are so many folks out there doing it. And, uh, yet I think there is, uh, there is enough now to know there's a little bit of a science behind it and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, right. getting some proper, uh, qualifications is, uh, is a great thing. So awesome. Well, wish you all the best with that. Um, Thanks. so let's, let's pivot a little to the, uh, the enormous topic of us healthcare. And, uh, is there anything that you think is something that perhaps the general public doesn't really understand about U.S. healthcare. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of the public debate focuses around drug prices, but uh, you think there's things that people are just missing in terms of uh, an understanding about what's what's really driving U.S. healthcare uh, and and well, the quality. Yeah, I guess I would pick as one topic. I mean, like you say, we could spend all day. Lots yeah. of people do spend days of <laughs> their lives trying to figure this yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. I, I I would pick the topic that so much of healthcare is paid for by somebody else. Mm. You know, unlike practically every other market of services or products that you buy, mm-hmm. healthcare is this interesting market where there is a third party payer. There's mm-hmm. somebody else that's in the middle. And that just creates so much confusion, uh, obscurity, mm-hmm. lack of transparency in every market, whether it's a medical market or a pharmacy market, bring it around a pharmacy. And it's, it really is a jungle mm-hmm. yep. for the average person to understand. And that's really where I'm going to try to spend my time helping where, wherever hand companies, whoever navigate that space. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, uh, I mean, we certainly find that too, that uh, with respect to patients, they almost think the price of the drug is what they have to pay out of pocket right. at the pharmacy, not the actual cost of the drug. And, uh, right. And uh, yeah, so it's it's really, I think, to your point, we have a third-party payer. People tend to, it creates some interesting uh, incentives and, uh, mm. and and many of that, uh, much of that probably contributes to the to the shape of uh, the industry today. So, right. Yeah. Uh, not to uh, just kind of stay on this point for one second, uh, not to bring up a competitive podcast, but there's room for everybody. I was listening to the, <laughs> the, the 46 Brooklyn broadcast. Oh, they're great, those guys. Yeah. 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 A, a nine-part yeah. series mm-hmm. just on the nine different prices a drug can have. Each <laughs> podcast is a different, you know, MADAC, yeah. AWP, WAC, yeah. ASP, UNC, yeah. Yeah. just that in and of itself just tells you how bad things are that we have to have nine podcasts to explain pricing that that could almost be a a sort of a semester course at a university couldn't it just that just that that section alone yeah fascinating um so if you had the ability to sort of wave the magic wand and and change anything in in the healthcare scene what what do you think would be you know the area that you would target um my and it would be a small magic wand and i would just target it on one little area and it's just an area of personal interest right now is i'm really intrigued by these cash only pharmacies that are mm. pumping up mm. uh, and you know is there enough kind of juice in that squeeze for mm that that niche to develop 
mm-hmm. a, a transparent model for drugs. Are there enough generic drugs? Well, I think there are. Yeah. Okay. Are there enough patients mm-hmm. who want to kind of go that route? Mm-hmm. And how do you connect the two dots? How, mm. how do you get those patients to understand mm. there is a, a market, there are payers or providers out there, be it anybody from little old blueberry pharmacy in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. to Mark Cuban? Yes. Okay? Yeah, and yeah. and wh- where, where, where is it? In there was something on NBC just recently. I just saw an NBC cl- mm. news clip on it. Some other pharmacy. Oh, in Ohio, mm-hmm. there's somebody's got side-by-side pharmacies. It's kind of like, go back to your chemistry mm-hmm. days. You got an mm-hmm. L isomer and R and R isomer mm-hmm. of your, your, your pharmacy. Yeah, here. Yeah. One, one is in plan and the other is out of plan. Yeah. Uh, door A or door B. Do you want the red pill or do you want the blue pill? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it is fascinating, right? And I think we've seen a lot of these other startups that, you know, the Hims and Roe and, and all these others, like taking little niches of right. health where people are willing to spend the money themselves to to deal with it. And, and then I think, you know, GoodRx has been another interesting area sort of showing that sometimes the the non-insurance price can be better than the insurance out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think, yeah, really interesting to see how far that whole area can, can go. And uh, I, I think as we see more and more, uh, you know, deductibles and cost sharing being pushed on to patients in commercial insurance, I think there's going to be lots of folks trying to work out, um, is there a cheaper way for me to, to get access to my meds? Right. So, yeah. There is, there is an argument that, okay, in total, there are somewhere around six billion prescriptions written in the United States. Mm. If you if you normalize to a thirty day supply, right? Say each thirty day yep. supply is a prescription. Mm. There's somewhere around six billion prescriptions. Easily four billion of those prescriptions mm. are generic, and most of them are really cheap. Yeah, and it's not worth the processing to run a claim. Yeah. So you can make the argument that mm-hmm. 4 billion prescriptions are non-insurable events. Mm-hmm. Run of this cash. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah. how do we capture adherence and how do we mm-hmm. do medication therapy management? It's not just as easy as saying every make it a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. But there's other ways that that could be done as well for maybe a service fee where you're actually getting mm-hmm. a fee for the service of a pharmacist, which kind of takes us to the whole area of pharmacy provide pharmacist provider status mm-hmm. rather than getting paid on the margin of the drug. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's so many different forces mm-hmm. kind of at play in this market right now, generics, pharmacy provider status, the fragmentation, like you say, rows, hers, mm-hmm. hymns, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how that sort of consumerization of, of healthcare continues to continues to develop. Um, but yeah, uh, it'll be interesting times. So uh, obviously you've, you've had through the e-tech experience, uh, uh, some experience of, of, of trying to to scale uh, innovation in in the industry, and, and I'm wondering what what you see as some of the sort of key challenges to bring in innovation uh, into the industry and and scaling it. And uh, yeah, so curious to yeah, hear some yeah, of the lessons think, learned from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The most important question I think to any 
innovator entrepreneur going into healthcare is who's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is such a jungle of a payer environment mm-hmm. in terms of, okay, is the patient going to pay for it? Is the physician going to pay for it? Is pharma going to pay for it? Is the health plan going to pay for it? And if it's the health plan, is it the, is it the plan or is it the plan sponsor? Is it the employer? Mm-hmm. I think that, that question vexes everybody. Yeah. And it's easy as an, and at least in my experience, what I've seen, it's very easy to get pilots, mm-hmm. a pilot study. And then you can enter this cycle of death mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're in pilot hell mm-hmm. for God knows. And, and everyone loves your pilot, but mm-hmm. wait a minute, I've got to make some money on this. Yeah. So that, that I would say is what I would tell people to focus on. Who's yeah. going to pay for it? I think that's very sage advice. So many of these digital health startups have failed because they they just thought, well, we'll bring in good technology and that's all that matters and it's helping people and and yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. The yeah. logic of it is sound. Yeah. This this has just gotta work. Yeah. You know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> talk, talk to the people yeah. at Betamax. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh well we've we've touched on some of the uh you know, I think this this definitely sounds like that's one area that you're focusing on in terms of sort of key trends and developments. Uh are there any other sort of trends, developments, regulations that you got your eye on that you think will have a very significant impact in the next few years? Yeah. Well, one trend that everyone's kind of watching mm. uh, is the the gene therapy trend. Mm. You, I, I think that we're standing at a very interesting space in mm. history right now. It's almost like we're at the dawn of antibiotics mm-hmm. or the dawn of steroids. Mm-hmm. Okay, with you know the first patients have just been dosed in New Zealand mm. on this gene therapy that knocks out or somehow or another edits the base for the PCSK9 mm. gene. Okay, wow. so. Verve Therapeutics, uh, mm. Cambridge-based, is just dosed their first patient or maybe multiple patients. So imagine a world where a one-hour infusion one time will permanently lower your cholesterol. Yeah. I yeah. mean, j- j- just think about what that's going to do. I yeah. mean, and, you know, these guys at uh, and gals at... Mm these gene therapy companies now have the technology to edit a single base pair right. on your DNA. It's extraordinary. Uh, yeah. Right. It's really early stage. It's not getting a lot of press, but mm. wow, you could just think about what that means. So that's, that's one area that I'm just mm. paying attention to, to learn as much as I can each day. Mm. And the information is really flowing fast as these come. It's almost like you need to walk the streets of Cambridge, Massachusetts, mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. you sit in a couple of Starbucks because yeah. there's so much of it is going on up there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think certainly all these sort of single gene conditions that are out there seem like obvious first targets. And then uh, I right, gather there's right. some, some thoughts about what's the best way to to handle the sort of the transport issue within the body. But uh, sure. uh, right. yeah, I think it's a fascinating. And of course, 
you know, we're back to the, who pays for it again, right? Because right, all of these right. things are exactly crazy. It was, it, yeah, yeah. was it Bluebird? Who just got the approval mm. for the beta thalassemia drug? Yeah, yeah. Is it Bluebird? Mm. Two plus billion or two plus million mm. yeah. uh, for it? Uh, and ICER said mm. that's economically uh, reasonable. Mm. Uh, I was just uh, reading an article. Where they said, okay, a beta thal patient is going to chew up six million dollars in drug and medical costs over their life two and a half million or whatever it is i'm i'm guessing i i'm guessing at the numbers two plus million is kind of reasonable okay so are we ready for all of those patients to hit the system at once yeah yeah well i, I remember the stories about uh with the first uh spinal muscular atrophy drug that it was right. mess, messing right. up the economics for hospitals because they right. were banking on being able to you know squeeze oh, the commercial okay. side and the problem right. was you know most of the patients were coming in as medicaid patients and so they were losing losing their shirt on these on these drugs so uh yeah you couldn't you, there weren't enough commercial patients to do the multiplication to to make the money back and so uh yeah yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff. There are multiple laws of unintended consequences that will get played out here. <laughs> totally, totally. At the other, at the other end of the spectrum, you ask the question: What am I interested in? One is just kind of following gene therapy. The other is just the the PBM market in general mm -hmm. and mm. the potential for either incremental or radical change from either market forces, mm. the innovators coming in and creating something really innovative, or the regulators. You've got an FTC inquiry started now on, you know, the big five or six PBMs. Every, practically every state's attorney general is trying to get a notch, you know, or a scalp mm. on their wall of, you know, doing something to the PBMs. So, you know, having been inside one, and I'm not speaking specifically to CVS Caremark, but all of them, I believe, feel like they're, you know, uh, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts uh, with with all these states going after them. So, as always in healthcare, you got to keep an eye on the regulators because who knows what one election will bring in terms of moving the needle one way or the other yes <laughs> yes indeed uh yeah we uh, it's getting harder and harder to predict what uh will happen in the future that's for sure uh great well um harry this has been super fun to have this conversation i'm wondering if you have any recommendations for uh someone wanting to start a career in life sciences or, or healthcare what what would you what would you say to someone yeah yeah <sighs> I would tell them uh, the more you are willing to be a lifelong learner, mm -hmm. the the better you will be, the more fun you will have, mm -hmm. because this is an industry that is constantly changing. It's driven by technology and innovation. And if you want to kind of get ahead, you've got to almost allocate a certain percentage of your time say, okay, I just got to X percent of that, whether it's five, eight, 10%, I've got to just be reading and learning mm. and talking to people because there's, there is no straightforward path. Of course, there's lots of people who say, okay, I'm a 30 year veteran of XYZ mm. company. That's rare. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you know, kudos to those who are those individuals. Uh, but on the other hand, it's usually you're connected, you're looking back over your career and there's four, five, six, seven, 
eight stops. So if you're going to get into the business, make sure you're ready to learn as much as you can. Do not be intimidated by the technology. As you and I know, there's lots of people who've done spectacularly well in the pharmacy business and they're not a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or they're not a nurse. And, you know, there's room, plenty of room in this business for smart people who are willing to learn and apply kind of their inherent skills. So my advice would be, be a lifelong learner. Yeah, I think that's, for for any path you go down, a very, very good advice. Are there any uh, particular books or podcasts that you'd uh, recommend, maybe you've recommended the most or uh, would would point people to you think are are, are great resources? Yeah. Uh, You know, one of my favorite management books Mm -hmm. that I've always used is uh, Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's a great Uh, read. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, easy, real simple, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of highlighting the value of trust from a management Mm -hmm. standpoint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, And as you know, I'm I'm a big fan of podcasts. Mm. It's just kind of growing less. It's like, yeah. oh man, <laughs> you, you, you can't. Uh, so another a, a couple in this in this field is the pharmacy podcast. The uh, mm. pharmacy podcast network is kind of a cool eclectic mix mm. of people in in pharmacy. The uh, if you want to go to the other end, you and I are fans of the All In podcast. Mm. A bunch of billionaire. Uh, tech entrepreneurs uh as talking about lots of startup if you mm-hmm. can sift through the politics mm-hmm. there's good startup and advice in that one mm-hmm. and i think and, good global macro trend analysis yeah, as well right, yeah right yeah, yeah. Uh, and stats podcast stats oh, podcast yes. the read out loud yeah it's is a, great, a great weekly podcast mm-hmm. for kind of watching fda and biotech and pharma and it's just kind of irreverent enough that it's an it's not really dry. They they are they don't take themselves too seriously, which I really like. Indeed, indeed, awesome. Um, now, and where can listeners find and connect with you? Where's where's the best place for them to uh, get in touch if it, they want to? It's yeah. it's easy to find Harry Travis on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's probably the easier to reach out to find me on LinkedIn uh, or at Harry at travisgroup.llc.com but LinkedIn is a lot easier. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Harry. As always, it's a a total joy to uh, have a conversation and uh, I hope we'll have many more going forward. But uh, yeah, yeah. Likewise, Uh, this, this was, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Yeah, I really appreciate having you on. And and thank you to all the listeners for uh, paying attention. And uh, I hope you got something out of uh, this uh, conversation with Harry. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again online. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.